0: Good morning, and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church on this, the 17th of September 2023. But uh, if you're a regular, welcome. If you're a visitor, a very warm welcome to you, and if you're here as a family or friend of Jennifer's, even more of a welcome to you, because it is absolutely wonderful. Today we have the baptism of Jennifer which is a pure delight for those of us who come here regularly to this church. So if you're in the church, we hope you enjoy the service. If you're listening online, we too hope you can see something of what's happening here this morning. We're going to turn to our reading now, so I'm just going to invite Michelle to come up. We'll be reading from Exodus chapter 17, beginning at verse 17, chapter 13, rather, beginning at verse 17. Thank you, Michelle. And after this, Mark will come up. Thank you.
1: When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdol and the sea, in front of baal You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Piharithoth in front of Balzaphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses why do you cry to me tell the people of Israel to go forward lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host his chariots and his horsemen And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night Let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Amen.
2: Thank you, Michelle, for that, um, that epic reading in more ways than one. Um, let me just pray before we, we open that word together. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help I pray for your help now that I would be able to speak the words you have for us to hear. And Lord, would you open our ears so that we might hear your voice and that by the power of your spirit, you might change us and that you might change us into the people that you would have us to be. We pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Let me add my welcome to Adrian's. My name is Mark, and it's my my privilege to be opening this passage of Scripture with you this morning. And this is uh, an epic passage, and one that shapes the lives of every Christian, even now thousands thousands of years after this. Uh, So do keep your Bible open in the passage as we walk through it this morning. There are some situations where it is absolutely necessary to see clearly the danger we're in, and also to see our own inability to get ourselves out of that danger. And if we don't see these things clearly, we'll die. And perhaps because of the water that we're surrounded with this morning and the water in our passage, my mind went to a piece of advice given by the the Royal National Lifeboat Institute, the RNLI. And they've got this piece of advice for people who get themselves in trouble in deep water. And the advice is this, float to live. Because they know that people's instinct is often to thrash about and swim as hard as they can. But they know that when we're in trouble, the surest way to survive is actually to do as little as possible and wait for a rescuer. To survive, don't swim as hard and as fast as you can. Float and shout for help. Well, we see something of this in the story of the Exodus, this principle that comes to the fore where God's people need to learn a life-saving message. And to learn it, they are brought to a place where they can see very clearly the danger they are in and their inability to rescue themselves. And they're brought to a place where they must see the salvation that the Lord works for them. So far in this epic story of Exodus that we've been walking through, We've seen God's people as slaves in Egypt, oppressed by this mighty empire, held in captivity by an evil Pharaoh. And then God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and Pharaoh says no. He would rather resist God and expose his people to the plagues and the punishment of God than to let these Israelites go free. But then God sends one final plague this tenth plague where the firstborn in every household is struck down dead. In every household that is except for those who had listened to the words of God, his words of salvation and his words of judgment. And they painted the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. And those people in that house were saved. Well after this plague comes upon the people, Pharaoh at last sends the Israelites packing. And they run out of Egypt, out of Egyptian captivity, finally free. But now here, free from the captivity of Pharaoh, where will they go? What direction will they turn? Now that they are at liberty to go where they want, where will they head? And who will keep them safe from their enemies that still pursue them? So in our passage this morning, we see the clear answer to these questions. We see God Leads his people. And we'll see that he does this for their good and for his glory. And then we see that God fights for his people. And we'll see that in two ways God protects his people and God punishes his enemies. So God leads, God protects, God punishes. These are the, the three landmark things that we see in this passage. And they're brought to our attention in the text, through God's active presence in the cloud and the fire. We see that mentioned in chapter 13, verse 21. God is present in the pillar, moving ahead to lead His people. And then in chapter 14, verse 19, we see God moving from being in front to standing behind His people so that He might stand between His people and their enemy to protect them. And then in chapter 14, verse 24, we see God from this pillar of cloud looking down upon the Egyptians to punish them in their wickedness and to deal definitively with the problem of evil. So let's look at these three points together as we see all of them, how they point us to this great salvation that the Lord will work. So see how God leads As we walk our way through this passage, we see that God, He leads His people for their good and for His glory. He leads them first away from a war that would send them running back to Egypt, and He leads them by His own constant presence with them, and then He leads them into a battle where they have nowhere to turn but to Him, and He does this all for their good and His glory, so he leads them away from this war that would send them running back to Egypt. At the start of our reading in verse 17, when the people come out of Egypt, we read that God takes them in the wrong direction. He uh, takes them the long way round, takes them via the wilderness towards the Red Sea. But God knows what he's doing. His sat-nav is not broken. God has planned a route to avoid a battle that he knows his people are not ready for Yet. But the route is not gonna be an easy one. He will later lead them into this other battle that they cannot avoid. God, here we see, knows his people's weakness and he plans a route accordingly. They don't yet trust him to be able to deliver on his promise to take them to Canaan, the land that he promised to them long ago. They don't yet grasp the goodness of God's promise for them. And they don't yet understand how to live as free people with God as king. And God knows that his people, left to their own devices, would choose to return to slavery rather than to face opposition on the way to what he has promised. And it's because they they haven't grasped that Egypt equates to death for them. And so we read that God knows that if he took his people the direct route via Philistine territory, his people would run back into captivity rather than fight as free people of God. They would choose captivity over freedom because of their fear of men and their lack of trust in God and their failure to grasp just how deadly the Egyptians are. That's what we see in verse 17. And in this way that God leads, we we see that there is a great tenderness, a great tenderness in the way that He leads His people, because He knows our weakness. He knows that without Him to lead us and guide us, we would run into ruin. But God, knowing this, leads us on a path that that we must take in order to fully trust Him. And a road where we will see the folly of our own sin. And this is often a painful road. And it's certainly not a road that we have chosen for ourselves. But it is a road that God knows we must take so that we might see that He is God, and following Him is always for our good and His glory. God knows the battles that we must face in order to see the danger of the enemy we run from and the safety that is only found in the salvation that He will work for us. But God knew if He he sent His people via Philistine territory, they would run back, back to Egypt. And it's not as if, the people didn't know what God had promised. They knew that they were headed to the promised land. It's just, it seems, that they didn't grasp the goodness of the promise or God's ability to deliver. Because in the passage, we see that God's people knew God's promise was to bring them to Canaan, the promised land, because of the seemingly strange inclusion of Moses taking the bones of Joseph out of Egypt in verse 19. Joseph, on his deathbed, made his family promise they would carry his bones to this promised land. And Joseph spoke prophetically of how God would visit them to deliver them into it. And you can read that at the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, 24 and 25. So for hundreds of years, while in Egypt, God's people are carrying around with them the bones of Joseph, which were a physical reminder of the promise that God would one day visit them and take them out of Egypt Into the promised land. So, God's people, when they get out of Egypt, they know where they're headed. They knew the promise of God. They clung onto the hope that Joseph spoke of that God would visit them and deliver them. They know where they're going. They even know that God is going to lead them there. But knowing in theory and trusting God in the here and now are often two very different things. And there is a difference between head knowledge and true belief. And this is one of the things that God's people will learn on their journey. And we see on this journey that God leads His people by His presence. Now, God isn't just a a mere signpost in this journey for His people. He doesn't simply pass on some instructions of where they are to go. God is with them. He goes ahead of them. He is the way for them. God, in His gracious care for His people, shows up in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at the end of chapter 13. God is there with his people to lead his people by his own presence with them. And by these miraculous phenomena of of the cloud and the fire, God shows his people that he is with them. And he never leaves them, not day or night. He never departs from them, The cloud is there during the day and the fire at night. They are ahead of God's people. He goes in front of his people to lead them, to show them the direction they are to go. But even more than direction, the cloud provides shade from the heat of the day. The fire provides warmth and light in the cold, dark night in the desert. God is with his people all the time to lead and provide for them. So, God's people have no doubt where they are to go, even if the route is confusing, and they have no doubt that God is with them. But I wonder if you read this passage and think to yourself, why doesn't God lead like this today? You know, wouldn't it be just so much easier if there was a a cloud? Or a pillar of fire telling me which job to take, or which house to buy, or who to marry, or what to study at college. Wouldn't life be just much more straightforward if God would lead me in the same way? Well, the truth is, God does lead us, and He gives us a much clearer guide for living than even the Israelites have here. God gives us a guide to know how to live a life that is pleasing to Him, He gives us His Word. And that word directs us to his truth. And for those who belong to him, he gives us his own constant presence with us. His Holy Spirit living in us. We who are his have a better guide than even the Israelites escaping Egypt had here. So let us not go about looking for signs in the sky. When God has given us clear guidance in his word. And when I think of the fact that God goes ahead of us, and walking into Him is the way to His salvation in this passage, I can't help but remember the words of Jesus when He was asked by His disciples what the way to His Father was. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. We have in Christ the clear way, and He also is more than a signpost, someone to tell us what to do or where to go. He is the way. We get there in Him. And we have seen that that God led His people by His constant gracious presence in the Exodus, away from a war that would cause them to, to run back to Egypt. And now we see that He leads them into a battle that will leave them with nowhere to turn. And we see again that He does it for their good and for His glory. At the start of chapter 14, having taken them a long way off track, we see that God seems to turn His people in circles until they camp at the edge of the Red Sea. And to human eyes, God's planned route is crazy. He leads them down a blind alley into a dead end, and He does it in such a way that ensures they are utterly trapped. This route brings God's people to a place where they have nowhere to turn. When the Egyptians see the crazy, confusing route God's people are taking, Pharaoh changes his mind about letting this valuable workforce go, and he sees an opportunity to go and get his slaves back. He gathers a massive army mounted on chariots to run after them and recapture them. But this is exactly what God had planned, and that's what verse 3 and 4 of chapter 14 tells us. God designed the route so that Pharaoh will chase after them and God will gain glory over Pharaoh. And the Egyptians will see that God is the Lord. He leads his people for their good and his glory. And the sight of the Egyptian army chasing after his people must have been a terrifying sight for the Israelites. They were convinced they were going to die and they shout out to the Lord and to Moses why have you brought us here? Is it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you've taken us here to die? You don't know what you're doing. But remember, this is the route that God has planned, and He has led them to this place. Trapped between Egypt and the Red Sea, God's people know that they can do nothing to save themselves. They've got nowhere to turn and nowhere to run. And this is precisely where God must bring his people to a place where they give up self-dependence, a place where they clearly see the danger of their enemy and their inability to save themselves, a place where they can see the terror of their old masters, and a place where they can do nothing but cry out and wait for God to do something to save them. God leads his people to the place where they must go in order to see his salvation. God leads his people on paths today that are often confusing and are often filled with hardship and even fear. But we know as Christians that God, he works all things, even these hard and these winding paths for his people's good and for his glory. And God will take us on paths that we would never choose for ourselves so that we might learn our need of him and that we might turn to Him and see that He is the God who is able to save us. Life is full of of various battles and struggles, and, and each one of us in this place, we've got different experiences of that. But there is one universal battle that each and every one of us face, and it's this battle of how can we be right with God? God wants us to see that this is not a battle that we can fight for ourselves. We must all recognize the deadly seriousness of sin and the reality of God's judgment for that sin. We cannot escape. We need to see the danger we are in because of this situation and we need to see clearly our inability to save ourselves, to make ourselves right through our own efforts. Religion cannot save you. Charity and kindness cannot save you. You cannot save you. This is the place that we all must get to. This is where the Israelites find themselves in the Exodus story, trapped between the Egyptians who would kill them and the sea that would kill them. There's no way out. They cannot fight. They cannot run. All they can do is stand still and cry out to God. And that is precisely the place that we must all be taken to. You know, everyone who is a Christian has come to this place. It's something that that Jennifer actually has been testifying to this morning. And we must come to the place where we realize we can do nothing about our own sin. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We can only cry to God. And when we do, we will find that God Himself fights for us. In this Exodus story, we see two ways that God fights for His people. We see that God protects His people, and He punishes His enemies. He protects His people as He shields them from the enemy, and He makes a safe path for them to escape. Let's see how God protects His people here. Once trapped and sure of their inability to run or to save themselves, God speaks to His people who are trembling in fear, and He speaks from the pillar of cloud and fire in chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. These are words of power and of peace. They speak to a people that are helpless. They cannot fight but they don't need to fear because God himself will fight for them. All they have to do is stand still, be silent, and watch what God will do. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. And then God tells Moses he's going to make a safe path for his people to escape through. Moses must lift up his staff, stretch out his hand over the sea, and it's going to miraculously part in two so that the people can walk safely across. God is going to protect his people by providing them an escape route. And once he's spoken from the pillar of cloud, we see God then moves to protect his people. In verse 19, the pillar of cloud that had been in front of them, leading them, moves to take position behind them. We're told that this is the angel of God. Angel of God, Jesus Christ in the cloud. Jesus, before he became a man, is here and he moves to position himself, to put himself in harm's way. He moves to stand between the raging army of the Egyptians, the great and terrifying enemy, and the people of God. He makes himself A shield for his people so that the enemy cannot come near them. All night long, God stands guarding his people. All night long in the darkness, God is making a way of escape for his people. We see a strong east wind. It blew all night to dry up the sea and make a dry path. God protected his people by making a passage for them. A place that was once a fearful thing, the Red Sea, became to them a place of safety. And we see then in verse 22, all the people of Israel walked right through the sea with the water heaped up on the left and on the right like a wall. What a stunning picture of the gospel we have here. Jesus stands in harm's way to protect his people so they cannot be harmed by their great enemy. And as he does, he makes a way through the sea. The sea in the Bible it represents symbolically the judgment of God. And here we see that a way is opened for God's people to pass safely through unharmed, either by their enemy or by the water. This is one of the things that we see Jesus accomplished on the cross. He took the blows that we deserve. He takes the judgment that we deserve completely, so that we might walk safely unharmed and unpunished for our sin. And what did the Israelites do to save themselves from the terror of Egypt? Nothing. They simply had to stand still and allow God to fight for them. And this is the gospel in a nutshell. But how hard this is for us to put into practice in our own lives. We do not like standing still and being silent and letting other people fight our battles. We like to be independent. But here we have a picture of what it is to allow God to fight for you. It is to recognize the hopelessness of your own sin and to see your inability to fight against it and your inability to run away from the judgment that is rightly yours because of it. And as we do, we see the salvation that the Lord works. But God is not yet done fighting for His people here. He has protected them by being a shield between them and the Egyptian enemy. He has protected them by providing a safe way through the sea. But the battle is not yet done. As we've seen, Pharaoh will not give up pursuing the people of God while he still has an army that are able to fight. So God acts decisively to finish this fight once and for all. And it's our final point. God punishes his enemies. It's not enough for God to rescue his people without eradicating the threat to them. He will not let their slave masters pursue them any longer. God fights for his people until they are totally free. He keeps fighting until the job is done. God will not tolerate evil. He will not allow it to go unchecked. Pharaoh is still set against God, his heart set on recapturing God's people and making them his slaves once again. He and his whole army run into the middle of the Red Sea in pursuit. But then look at what God does. God looks down from the cloud. In chapter 14, verse 24, early in the morning, God looks down from this cloud of, of this pillar of cloud and fire, and he looks down on the Egyptian's and he sends them into a panic, they suddenly realize, but too late, that the Lord is fighting for the Israelites. In their panic to escape, their chariots and horses get clogged with mud, and they become stuck fast. Then the Lord tells Moses to lift out his hand over the water so that the water might return to its place. And in this one terrible moment of judgment, the sea engulfs the Egyptian army. God's enemy is utterly wiped out. This evil force that would have destroyed God's people is no more. And we see how complete and how final this act is in verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh. Not one of them remained. God does not deal with evil in half measures. He deals a decisive blow to it. And I don't know if this is uncomfortable listening and reading for you. Many people do balk at the idea of a God who would punish. Surely God is love, and a God who is loving would never punish people. And some will say wrongly that this God who rages against evil and punishes the wicked is a relic of the Old Testament, the New Testament with the gentle Jesus. He's not like that. But we can't think this. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, so we cannot just say that this is the God of the Old Testament, and He's not like that anymore. God is always a God of love, and God is always just, and God always punishes evil, and He's a God who deals decisively with it, and in fact, it's, it's only this truth that makes sense of the horror of the cross. The cross where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified is the place where we see most clearly the love and the justice of God. It's on the cross that God deals decisively with the problem of evil. It is at the cross that sin is punished. At the cross, the sin of everyone who comes to the realization that they can do nothing about the problem of their own sin but stand still and let God fight for them. All of their sin is placed on Jesus. Jesus takes it on himself and he faces the punishment we deserve. At the cross, God shows his love for us and he executes the just punishment for sin. Those of us who are God's people can look to the cross and see God fighting for us, the decisive battle over sin for us. At the cross, we truly see the salvation which God works for us and how decisively He deals with sin. But there is a warning for us too. If we we still underestimate the problem of sin, if we overestimate our ability to deal with it ourselves, if we refuse to have God fight for us and save us, His just judgment remains. And it is a frightening thing. The Israelites, they saw the power of God against the Egyptians who opposed them, who opposed God. And they saw how God had saved them, and they feared Him, and they believed because they had seen the salvation of the Lord. They had seen the God who leads and the God who protects and the God who punishes. And if you're not a Christian yet today, I pray that you, You might see the danger of your sin that separates you from God. See your own inability to save yourself and see Jesus who fights for you. I pray that you yourself would see the salvation of the Lord, that He works for all who trust in Him. And if you are a Christian, I pray that you again and that we would see the salvation of the Lord, which He has worked for us We need to keep returning to it because there is a real danger that we would forget. There is a danger we would think we were better off in Egypt. We would be tempted to return to sin. But the way to avoid this is to see the salvation of the Lord. See how full it is. See how powerful it is. See how permanent it is. See how complete it is. See that God leads you that God protects you. God has taken your punishment, and He deals decisively with the problem of evil, so that it will one day be no more. See the salvation of the Lord, which He works for you. Thank you for being with us today. Let me encourage you to stay for tea and coffee, and uh, there's some sweet treats out there as well. And if you've got any questions about anything that you've seen or heard in the service here today, please do speak to Mark or myself or anyone who's part of the church here. We would love to speak to you. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us,